Hey, this is Pastor Keith with Epic Life Church. And if you're tuning into this podcast, I hope it's something that will encourage you. And maybe you can listen to it a couple times and as you're reading the scripture as well and come out with something new and maybe something to think about all day or talk with a friend and maybe use in a house church community or maybe on, on a, a chat across the, uh, the internet in this time that we're separated. Enjoy. Hey, Epic Life. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, this is a Thursday afternoon that I'm filming this. I'm really excited to share this message with you. Uh, I just love what this chapter in Ephesians is about, and I uh, have learned so much myself. So would you get, uh, join me in prayer as we start this morning? Father, it's such a blessing to share your word with your people, and I'm I'm so blessed to to get the privilege of pastoring and I thank you that you've placed me in this position and the, the struggle I go through every week just to present your word is, is something that I don't take lightly and I thank you for and Lord ask that you would speak through me and that you would be uh, the one that, that we hear as a church. I pray Lord Jesus that you would be with us in this time of, of isolation. I pray that we would gather with each other on, with phone calls and online and and not just being busy with our lives, but um, kind of inside of our houses and, and focused down, but Lord, that we would be uh, busy getting to know each other in a different level. I pray that our house church communities would continue to thrive and you'd continue to increase them. I pray that we would be confident and, and encouraged to invite people into our house church communities. Lord, to invite people into our Sunday morning gatherings. I ask that you would you would just guide us in, in our conversation with neighbors and friends and across the street or down the sidewalk and give us opportunities, Lord, and creativity and ways to bless our neighbors and bless people inside the church and, and without. I pray that they, the food bank, would, the giving room would continue to grow and thrive and, and you would give uh, just a special uh, amount of grace and and energy to those who are serving you there and blessing others. We pray, Lord Jesus, that your blessing would be prevalent. And we give you praise, we give you praise in all things and ask that you would take what we're about ready to talk about and that you would take it into our soul and that we would we would accept it and receive it, Lord, and be changed because of your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. So this morning, uh, what a blessing. Uh, I think we just heard from Laura, and I wanna encourage you, if you do need some uh, maybe counsel or just being able to call in and talk, that you would give Laura a call, uh, give her a shout, and, and uh, I'll just allow some time to, to talk and to have some counsel from her. And such a blessing to have Laura around Epic Life for uh, these years. and. She's a blessing to those who uh, speak with her. So please do take advantage of that if you can. I just want to thank David Banks, Pastor David, last for uh, uh, preaching last week. Uh, just a privilege having him share with us and mentor us as a body of believers as he's busy in ministry as well with Fellowship of Christian Athletes in the sports world. And you can pray for him and encourage him as they're uh, continuing ministry, um, even in this time, just doing it differently like the rest of us. Hey, this morning, um, like last week, Pastor Dave brought us back into Ephesians, and that's where we're going to continue. We're going to continue right into the book of Ephesians and into chapter 4. And this uh, book of Ephesians that has just been read to you uh, is such a, a, a beautiful passage for us to learn. I want to encourage you, church, to uh, learn how to study the word on your own, that you would be actively uh, an active participant in studying the word, that you would learn it yourself. So we're going to study the word now, but what happens on a Sunday morning isn't the same as what can be happening uh, for you at home. And so um, just as a way of encouragement, the way I sit and, and study the word is is I'll, I'll pick up, um, there's a couple different ways actually that throughout the week, I don't every single morning do the exact same thing. I like a little variety and it kind of teaches me from different perspectives. And so 
uh, a couple times a week, I will actually uh, just pray. Uh, and usually I'm meeting with God about 5.30 in the morning. I'll just sit down and I'll pray. I'll, I'll write out a prayer, actually just write a prayer uh, on a piece of paper or in my journal. Other mornings, two or three um, uh, mornings of the week, I'll actually, I'm actually going through the book of Colossians verse by verse and just learning through each verse. I write the verse on the top and, and then write a whole page of, of notes, of thoughts, of commentary, of, uh, of journal as I'm thinking through that verse and uh, asking God to, to let me learn through that this in the morning and then throughout the day. And then usually try to share that with my family, maybe around breakfast table or by the fire as I'm drinking a cup of coffee, maybe with Christine and, and just sharing that. And then another two or three days of the week, maybe blending those together. I'm actually reading the passage we're going to be talking about on Sunday morning and uh, looking for opportunity for God to teach me to grow and uh, to be able to share. And so as I'm doing that, I, my my heart, my... my uh, um, kind of the angst in my heart is that epic life church that people of God learn how to study the word and are actively partaking in the letter that God has written to us. This is a really important thing in our lives and we're finding out right now in this t season of physical isolation because of the virus. And whatever your your thoughts or perspectives are about the virus, the facts are is that we are separate to, separated as a church and we can't meet together on Sunday morning. And it's even more valuable for us to learn how to study the word. We can take this as God's using this thing, this pandemic around the world, uh, to, to push his people to learn and grow individually or maybe with their family. And so I just want to encourage you to take advantage of that. Don't get on the other side of this when we're back to normal uh, and then look back and go, wow, I wish I would have taken advantage of that time. Take advantage of the time. Be disciplined about it. Uh, uh, look for ways to get up, set um, calendar notifications, maybe send it, a text to somebody and say, every morning at 5.30, I'm just going to send you a text to let you know that I'm up. I'm, I'm speaking with the Lord. I'm praying. I'm searching the scriptures and discovering what he has to say to me. And so in the book of Ephesians, as we've been learning through this, uh, we've actually been learning through this since uh, the beginning of the year. We're kind of talking about our yearly focus, kind of this, this idea that we have been identified for purpose. And so I'm going to remind us a little bit about where we came from and where we're going in the book of Ephesians. We have been identified for purpose. You see that on the back of the wall there at the church building on the stage. It just says identified for purpose, that God has identified us for purpose. The, the fact is, is that when we know who we are, we're able to be able, we're, we're able more fully to act in a right way. When we know who we are, we act in that um, understanding in light of that. You are identified for purpose. And so Ephesians chapter 1 starts laying out this understanding that you are identified as a man or woman of God, that you are identified for a purpose. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, uh, when you believed in Christ, he identified you or he stamped you, he, he impressed on you, he gave you uh, the Holy Spirit. He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. There's a great verse to memorize. Uh, when, when we believe in Christ, he identified you as his, as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. And then chapter 2 verse 10. We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ so we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. Those are two really important things as we're studying the book of Ephesians, that he's identified us with the Holy Spirit so that we could do the things he's called us to do. We're identified for purpose. And so Epic Life, we believe in this, that Epic Life Church, the church as a whole, and then individuals like you and I have been identified for purpose. Epic Life is not just a church on the corner that does its own thing and, and kind of uh, hopes hopefully people will come in on a Sunday morning and that's all we're doing. We've got a bigger purpose that we have been identified for. And so this master plan of the master created the masterpiece, you and I, to carry out his master plan. 
It's masterfully written and beautiful. And so here we are. We get to be part of this. We get to be identified for purpose. We are. So here's your identity. Are you ready? I've spoke about this many times over the months. But listen up. This is your identity. You are alive in Christ. You are his temple. It's where the Holy Spirit resides. You are heirs of his kingdom. You are his sons. You are his daughters. You are holy and without fault. This is what Ephesians says. You are. When you believed in Christ as Savior, you were identified with the Holy Spirit as his own. You are holy and without fault. You are one in Christ as the body of Christ and the church of God. That's who you are. You are, get this, you are complete, lacking nothing. Nothing else needed. You are complete. That's who you are. You are identified and you're identified for purpose. In fact, the, the scriptures really say that you're identified. That's who you are. Therefore, you know who you are and you can live in light of what you know. Identified for purpose. The scripture says that we can then be bound together uh, as the church in our identity. So, uh, this morning, uh, Ephesians 4, and, and we're going to go from 17, as was just read, uh, to the end of the chapter. But Pastor Dave shared some things from chapter, 11, or, um, chapter 4, verse 11, last week. And that 11 through 16, that um, uh, Paul was saying, you know, this, this is the church. So you uh, individually have been identified. Now, this is the church. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. And, and, and Pastor Dave kind of presented that to us last week and helped us understand our responsibility. So we have, a, a, um, as the church, this is, this is who you are personally, and then this is the church. The church is made up of leaders, and it's made up of, of people who are becoming leaders or are attending and doing different ministries or are part of God's work. This is the church. This is the church. The leadership is made up of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and probably more. But there's, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. This is in verse 11 of chapter 4. And it says in verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build the church up. Equip God's people the responsibility of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is to equip the church to do God's work by building the church up. So as I've been thinking um, about the, the sermon this morning about Ephesians, I've also been journaling through the book of Colossians. Uh, at the book of Colossians, in, in the end of chapter 1, so Colossians is just a couple books over from Ephesians Philippians, and then Colossians. Colossians was also written by uh, the Apostle Paul, and he was writing to uh, the church in Colossae and, and probably other places, actually. And so he says this at uh, the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, which is probably is a bad place to put a chapter heading, actually. Um, they, they really blend together. So Paul says, we, we want to present the church to God, perfect in the relationship to God. So he, in verse 28, he says, So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them, the church, to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. Now, Paul isn't saying that he can make people perfect. He's saying, I want to help people, warn them and teach them in such a way that their relationship with God is, is amazing. That's right. That is closest to perfect as possible that they aren't stumbling around in the night looking for answers but he's warning them exhorting them and warning them but also teaching and discipling them so that they'll be perfect verse 29 says 
That's why I work and I struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works in me. Get those two words, work and struggle. Now, verse one of chapter two. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea. For many other believers who have never even met me personally, I am agonizing for them. I want them to be encouraged and knit together with strong ties of love. I've been journaling about those verses for just a few days, actually, and thinking about the, the agony a pastor has, but the agony is, is wanting the church to be knit together, knit together in strong ties of love. There is no tie that is stronger. There is no bond that is stronger. There is no uh, fabric knitted together that is stronger than that of love. When somebody cares deeply for someone else, they will give their life for that other person. They will fight for that other person. They will have grace with that other person. They, they'll exhort and have, uh, have conflict, but still come back and trust that other person. And so what Paul is enc encouraging here, is saying here, is that as a pastor, he is working and suffering. He is in agony, um, warning and teaching the church so that they will be knit together in love. I'm looking up that word agony, the word suffering, the working, what that really means. And, and I can feel that, church, a lot. It's, it's a Greek word, agony, and the agona or something like that. And, and this word is, um, it's not the word that you, you think of when we think of agony in, in English. Like, oh, I'm, I, I'm in agony because of some kind of pain or something like that. This is like an active word. It's, it's most, mostly described the best kind of in the sports world where two wrestlers come together and they're wrestling and struggling against each other. That's why some of your, your versions say the word struggle there. Uh, and, and the New Living Translation actually uses the word struggle and then uses the word agony. And those are both words that are really from the same Greek word, agona. And so this is a, a wrestling together. Two men, are, are two, two athletes coming together and wrestling, and they're struggling and working so hard. They're agonizing in their struggle and work so hard that when they're done or one comes out the victor, even the victor falls over in a total exhaustion. And now, some of you have seen uh, sports like maybe CrossFit games, and the, the, the sports, the athlete will, will come across the line, finally come across the line, crawl across the line, and collapse in complete exhaustion. Excited that they won, but it completely exhausted. That's the word that Paul is using here. So with, with that understanding of that, listen to what he's saying here. Uh, verse 28 again, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship with Christ. Okay, here, here agony here. That's why I work and I struggle. I agonize. I, I wrestle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church and for many others. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. So back to Ephesians in chapter 4, the word agony comes back up. Although he doesn't quite say it, but it's, it's there, this idea that these people are, are responsible to equip God's people to do the work and build up the church. Remember, we've been identified for purpose. So God has given... He has given giftings to people in the church community to raise the church up, to bring the church to maturity, to agonize for the church, to work and suffer for the church, to bring them up. And so in verse 17, when we finally get to verse 17 uh, this morning, Paul says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer. And and Paul is, he's being a pastor to the church. He's saying, listen, I'm going to pastor you now. I've just set up and helped you understand everything about who you are. You understand who you are. Now that you know who you are, work out of who you are, and I'm going to pastor you in what you can do. Because God has prepared 
and appointed um, acts of work for us that we are to do as a church body and as individuals. And so he is trying to pastor now. Uh, in verse 17, Paul is saying, let me pastor you. And he says, you are now do. Okay, that's the role of a pastor or a shepherd is, is saying, um, you are, let me remind you who you are. And now let me remind you how to live. I find myself as a pastor for 20 years now, uh, in some way, uh, over college ministry or, or missions or uh, um, planting a church, Epic Life now. Um, I find so many ways that I am, I am re most of my role is reminding the church who they are. As an evangelist, I have an evangelist heart in some way too. I love to show people who they can be in Christ. But when they give their life to Christ and I'm preaching at church and pastoring the church uh, at, at Epic Life and maybe other pastors and, and sharing and guiding, I realize that one of my, my biggest roles is to remind the church who they are and remind the church how to live. <clears throat> and that's what Paul is doing here. Even though Christianity was very young at this time, maybe only 30 years since uh, after Christ's death and resurrection. And so Paul is, is still, he's coming to the people and he's reminding them who they are or even teaching them who they are. And then he's reminding them how to live or even teaching them how to live, showing them, hey, this is who you are. So because in light of who you are, you can live like this. Now, there's a warning that's going off here. Okay, please pause for a moment. Big warning sign over this. If I could, could get a big flashing yellow like wah, 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 warning sign over my head, I'd, I'd have it right here. There's, we have to realize that Paul is talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. You, if you are a believer in Christ this morning, he's talking to you. He's not speaking to people who don't know Jesus as their savior. Because if he's telling this, if he's pastoring about how to live, then what he's telling is he, what people are going to misunderstand is like, oh, I got to live that way so that I can become a son of God. No, no, no. Paul, Paul is saying, listen, you have been identified with Christ. He's, he's actually at the beginning of this. Remember that God blended together that he, he chose us before the beginning of time, but he also has given us the opportunity to believe in him. And in that mystery, he is... He has identified us with the Holy Spirit as his own and then given us works. And so we have to remember that like this warning sign is going up. He is not saying, not, he is not saying you are because you do. He is not saying you do so that you can be. Please hear that. I'm speaking to Christians right now. Paul is not saying you are because you do, okay? He is not saying you do so that you can be. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has come. He has, he has looked at you. He has drawn you to his side. And he says, come and follow me. Look at what Jesus did on the cross. He died. He, he died and took the, the uh, penalty of our sin on the cross. He put it to death in the grave. And then he rose again. And he ascended to heaven. And then he's drawn you to his eyes. So when you believe he's identified you as his own, and then since you've been identified, since you have the Holy Spirit, this, Paul is now saying, this is how you should live. Please understand that. You are, so do. That's what he's saying. This is who you are. This is what I want to teach you to do. So verse 17, Paul is saying, I want to pastor you. With the Lord's authority, I will pastor you now. And then he moves on and he starts pastoring them. He starts helping them un understand their, their um, social responsibility, their re moral responsibility. He starts pastoring them in, a, a per in their per own personhood, in, in the church, uh, marriage counseling, 
and uh, uh, parent, per, parent counseling. Uh, he's pastoring them in their jobs and their occupation and different things. And so he's going to start pastoring us through the rest of this and encouraging us to put on the armor of, of God at the end of the book. So these are going to be chapters where we're now moving into pastoring. But you have to know before we go into pastoring, you have to know that this this life does not make you a Christian. This life is what sanctification is. This life brings you so that God can use you, and he's given us the responsibility for that. So he starts off with saying, live no longer as you once lived for yourself. Well, I'll read those passages here. Verse 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this. I pastor you. No longer live as Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are, are full of darkness. They, they wander far from God, uh, from the life God gives, because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Please, as a suggestion, I would encourage you to read those verses several times this week and uh, kind of realize what they're saying. We can't get to everything this morning, but this is Paul saying, listen, don't be like you were before you knew Christ. And he uses this word Gentile, but that kind of is a, a word that talks about the heathen, those who don't know Christ, the ones who are outside the church. Don't live like them anymore. Why are you, don't, don't do this. Live no longer. You once lived that way. What's he saying? That is a pursuit of self. No longer live in a pursuit of self. Do something different now. That's how the heathen live. In, in chapter 2, in verse 2, well, verse 1, he said, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin <clears throat> just like the rest of the world. You were obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the heart of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. And he's saying, don't live that way anymore. Don't live as the heathen live. First Peter 2, 9 says, for you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Remember that list of who you are? This is who you are. Peter said to, to his audience, this is, you are a chosen race. You're a holy nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. So don't live in pursuit of self anymore. Don't live in selfish ambition and selfish pursuit. Let's do something differently. What is that difference? Verse 20. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, Truly righteous and holy. Wow, what a great passage that is. What great verses those are. That's not you. You've heard about Jesus and, and something is new. You've learned the truth and it's coming from him. So throw off your old sinful nature, your former ways of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Hear that? Corrupted by selfish ambition, selfish pursuit, lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Put on your new nature. So he's making this transition from not living for yourself anymore, but now, instead of self-focused, to be others-focused, to be God-focused. But in, And we're going to see that, that he's really talking about serving others. Look to, to bless others. Um, you have been giving, given a new nature. Go ahead and put it on. 
that new nature. So love the, the analogy here. He's saying throw off this old sinful nature. Colossians one or 3 says the same thing in um, pretty much the whole beginning of the chapter. 2 Corinthians says the same thing. I'll, I'll read 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17, um, which is a couple books to the left of, of Ephesians. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and so as Paul is, is speaking about throwing off this, this old sinful nature, 2 Corinthians 5 17 says this means that anyone who belongs to christ has become a new person so we're throwing off that old sinful nature we become a new person the old life is gone and a new life has begun and then then back over into galatians chapter 5 um 5 verse 1 so imitate god therefore in everything you do because you are his dearly beloved children live a life filled with love so throw off Galatians 5 16 um, make the most out of every opportunity in these evil days don't act thoughtlessly understand that the Lord wants you to do um, act differently don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life act act um, in a in a better way in a more complete way and I'm sorry um, Galatians 5 1 so Christ has truly set us free so now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery of the law live differently um, Galatians 5 16 so I say let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves that sinful selfish nature is craving this the sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants of you and the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires the sinful nature wants us to act selfishly with selfish ambition those two forces at, are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your old or your good intentions but when you are directed by the spirit you are not under the obligation to the law and so Paul is saying here, throw off your old sinful nature. Throw it off. Well, kind of like an old cloak. can't tell you how many times I've gone to the garbage and I looked in the garbage and I, I look in there and Christine has thrown away one of my favorite shirts or my favorite coat. Like this old coat I've got on. It's kind of ragged. I've had it forever. But you know, that the thing is, is that even though it's ragged, I, I can't throw it away. I hang it up in the in the garage and once in a while I put it on. It's kind of got this heavy feeling to it and it's rugged and it's, it's strong. Yeah, it's kind of ragged and torn up. It got some paint on it here and there, but it's my, my old coat. Paul is saying, throw off that old ragged thing and put on something new that you've been given already. You've already been given the new clothes, so put it on. So, so throw this old cloak off but it's familiar to me i like it it's it's comfy <laughs> it feels good it's kind of warm it has has that old comfortable feeling to it is and let's face it it's not that bad it's it's kind of dirty but it's not that bad i've seen worse I mean, in a lot of ways this is a lot of my identity is wrapped up in this i've, I've built a lot of things and have lived a lot of life in this old, old coat and Let's face it, I can kind of wear both. I can put this on, take it off, put it on. I can even put my new cloak over the top if I want. It's not so bad. These are the things that we say about our old nature, isn't it? But God is saying, hey, take this off. Paul is saying, take this off. Like an old cloak, throw it. Throw it off. Get rid of it out of your life. This is an action word. We say this in our actions. We call ourselves Christians like holding on as we still hold on to sinful desires and sinful wants. We, we pretend we have a new cloak on while we have the old cloak underneath. It's familiar, it's comfortable, it's not that bad. It's my identity. I can wear both. Well, actually, you can't. Second, Second Timothy two twenty two says to flee those those immature desires, those selfish desires. This is an active word. This what Paul is presenting here is an action. 
It's not passive, it's action, it's activity. After salvation too, not for salvation. Remember that. So in my notes, there's a big arrow right there. You know why there's a big arrow right there? Because this is so important. What, what Paul is prescribing here, describing, is a, an, a thought of sanctification, an action thought, not passive. That we are not to sit back on the couch waiting for somehow our cloak to be thrown off, our, uh, off of us. This is active. So listen to the action. He says, he said, throw off your old sinful nature. Throw it off. That's action. You need to throw it off. Your old former way of life. Instead, allow or let the Spirit renew your thoughts. So throw it off. Allow the Spirit to renew your thoughts. And then put on a new nature. Put on something new. So there's three action words there. right? There's throw it away. Allow the Spirit to to do something in you, and then to put on the new nature. God is calling us to be actively involved in our sanctification, in our lives. This is not a passive sports contest that we're at in some way. We are to be actively involved. God isn't in the business of enabling us to live. He wants us to do the hard work and the hard thing to suffer and agonize inside of this. Because that suffering and agony grows us and matures us. We cannot gain our salvation, but we can gain in sanctification. So there's part of God's work in sanctification. There's part of our work in sanctification. And he works and he, and he uh, draws us and the Holy Spirit's working on our heart in conviction and uh uh, and you can see miraculous things happening around as you're pursuing. Many of you, you know what I'm talking about here. When you're pursuing your own selfish ambition, you see the Spirit come in and close doors and move things aside so that you can choose the right thing. And, and often we, we, we are so lustful after our own selfish pursuits and selfish desires that even though we see the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, we pursue after that old cloak and we look for it and we go get it and we're smelling it oh, and it's comfy and we pet it and it's precious to us we put it back on Paul's saying throw it off be active about this take it and throw it away allow the spirit and and um Second Timothy is like this, this flee, run away if you have to, run away. Be violent about it if you have to. But we sit back and go, oh God, why don't you take this desire away from me? Why don't you just take it away? Why don't you just, just recreate me so I don't even think about these things anymore? Well, God has forgiven us and given us eternal life but we still deal with the sin as we are pursuing him in holiness. Uh, pursuing God, it matures us. Uh, struggle strengthens us and strengthens our resolve about who God is in our life. It strengthens our, our understanding of repentance. It strengthens our understanding of grace. Uh, and, and then we can act because of grace. Understanding what Jesus did on the cross, killing that sin, how hard that was. It was hard for Jesus to kill sin. We should understand that because we know how hard it is to throw off that cloak, right? It's difficult. And so that's just me. Jesus did that for all of us. Hmm. Struggle sanctifies us. We must actively throw off rebellion. This is an action statement. We, we need to violently, aggressively, with, with determination, remove sin from our lives. The, and this will be the battle of our lives and the battle of our lives. But we are not controlled by sin any longer, as the scripture tells us. We're not controlled by sin. 
So when we do sin, we are choosing to sin. For if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Those are Jesus' words himself. Romans 8 and Galatians 5 both talk about that you're free from sin. You're free from sin, free in Christ. You're no longer slaves of sin, but now you're free as a, a servant of Christ, even a slave of Christ. Everything around us is clamoring to enslave us in something. All of the media knows this and monetizes on it. There is no other time in the history of mankind that we don't see what we're seeing now in media and how every single thing, every single thing you see in the media, Facebook, Twitter, TV, every single, single thing, every single thing, there's a, um, a money perspective to it, which means we cannot trust any of it. It's the way it is. And that the money perspective, it monetizing media means they're pursuing and they're clamoring for the passions of our heart, those selfish ambitions of our heart, clamoring for it to draw those out of us at all times. How different are we? So Paul takes the next step. And we're going to go through this and then be done this morning. Paul takes the next step and he, and he says, okay, you throw off the in, uh, old sinful um, lives. So how, how are we different as, as Christ followers? Well, he says in verse 25, so stop telling lies. Instead, let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. So he says, stop doing this. Stop, stop telling lies. Instead, do this. Now, lying is... Um, one of those things that people think could be a subjective. There are literal um, religions in the world and perspectives of morality and ethics in the world that says lying is actually okay and honorable in certain perspectives. The, Jesus says something different and the Bible says something different completely. Stop lying. Stop telling lies. This went against culture at the time even. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're part of the same bodies. Oh, okay, so verse 26. And, and don't sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. So don't let anger control you. Instead, deal with it. And so this passage is often attributed to marriage. How, how have you been married for a hundred years will be the question to the old people. Uh, I guess they're 115 by now. And, and they'll say, well, we never let the sun set on our anger. Well, I call BS on that. Here's the thing, is that sometimes be, being married and having a conversation and you can't solve everything by the end of the day. In fact, the sun sets around here at 4.30 in the wintertime. So to solve everything before the sun sets is kind of ridiculous. And the fact is, the later it gets into the night, the more the emotions kind of get stirred up and we're tired and we're confused and we can't really talk and, and, and get words out correctly. The best thing for us to do is go to sleep. The best thing for us to do is push pause and talk about the next day because we trust our, our spouse. And so this isn't necessarily about marriage. Actually, it's not about marriage. It's about life. Don't sin by letting anger control you. He's, he's quoting Psalms there. He says, instead, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For angry, get, gang, anger gives the foothold to the devil. He's just saying, instead, deal with your anger. Deal with it. Give it to God. Deal with your anger. Um, stop it so that the devil doesn't have a foothold, doesn't get in there with the anger and, and step in there and have a place in you because you're, you're holding on to this anger, this bitterness, this rage, this, this disgruntledness, whatever it is, even if somebody has harmed you and, or, or done something to you in your past. God is saying, don't let anger, anger is a selfish pursuit, is a pursuit of self, dealing with it in, in Christ-likeness, is something that you're you're pointing to God, you're trusting, you're trusting God. And so same thing with lying. 
Don't tell lies. Lying is about a selfish pursuit. Truthfulness is honoring God. Okay, verse 28. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, so stop, stop being a thief. Instead, do good. Use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. Again, like lying, being a thief in that day and time and many parts of the world almost is an ethical thing to do in some ways. People were objectively poor and they stole to take care of their families and uh, or thievery just kind of was this thing that happened. And the thing about thievery is, thievery is something that you're doing, you're taking from somebody who owns something. So if I own a pair of glasses and you walk up and take them from me, you have stolen them from me if you don't give them back, right? And so this is, Thievery is selfish pursuit, my selfish ambition, what I think that I need at this time, right now, because God's not taking care of me, so I'm going to go steal. Or, Paul is saying, or stop stealing, be generous, and give to others. Use your hands for work, to labor, to make money. Hmm, this is completely different. Uh, verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Paul's saying, don't do this. This is selfish ambition. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be encouraging to those who hear them. Instead of pursuing yourself in a loose mouth, a loose tongue, encourage others, love others. I know we have different opinions on what words are swear words and what words aren't. The fact is, we all know what will offend others while we're speaking. And so Paul is saying, don't let your mouth run in such a way that it offends people around you. Instead, offer encouragement. Instead, be generous in your conversation. Don't use foul or abusive language. Recently, it's become kind of the thing in the Christian world to use abusive language, to use cursing as an exclamation point. And, and I understand that. Uh, cursing is kind of a human construct, but if it offends somebody, why would we use it? What does it do for us to use offensive language? So Paul's saying, hey, there's a different way, and that's to love others. Let your words be encouragements uh, to those who hear them. Verse 30, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own. Remember, you're bringing sorrow to the Holy Spirit when you live in your old ways and you go and get that cloak and put it back on. Instead, or just remember that he's identified you as his own. You have the Holy Spirit because you're his own. He is guaranteed that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of Verse 31, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all type of evil, evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another. Don't do this. Instead, change 180 degrees, go in the opposite direction. Take off this old bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Actively take it off. Work and take it off. Instead, put on being kind to each other tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Remember what grace is and pass that on to other people. Not this, but this. Identified for purpose and now live differently. Get rid of this and put on this. Get rid of self and put on being generous to others so that God will be seen. And so Remember, as, as we talk through this, that, that Paul is not saying you need to do all these nice things so that God will like you. Not in the equation. He's saying, remember who you are and act in that. And doing that, you will point people back to God. And the world will know who you are by your love for each other, by your love for others. Epic Life it, it is such a blessing to 
live in a sanctified way and being sanctified together as we go through life. And I want to encourage us to, to, to be okay with, with failing in some of this and then knowing that there's grace and there's love, but there's exhortation as well. And so some of the ways that I, I personally take off the old nature is to learn from people who have done that. My father is one of those. A very, very angry man when, when I was young. It seemed like it to me. Um, my, my mom and dad would argue, you know, when we were growing up. And, and I felt like often as my brothers and I would lay on the top of the stairs and listen to them, I had this angst in my soul. But my father and my mother at, at a point, um, I, I feel like they were on the verge of separating. It is only by the grace of God that that hasn't happened. And even more beautiful, they both have taken off their old nature and put on the new nature. And so I'm learning from them still as they have done that. And they have this life that's something that I want to emulate in a lot of ways. So learn from people who have done that. But also, I want to encourage us to live a disciplined life. And disciplined life, I'm not talking about getting the, I don't know, getting the punishment stick out and saying, get to work, get to work, you're not fulfilling all the rules, get to work. I'm just saying, like, see the importance of a disciplined life, of, of learning the disciplines of, of memorizing scripture, of learning the disciplines of studying the scripture, of, of getting on your knees and praying on a daily basis and coming back to it, maybe at the same time every day, maybe at the time, ask God, like, when do you want me to, to pursue you? When do you want me to learn to put on these new clothes and let him set the time and then, and then do that, accept that from him. If he sets the time for me, he has set the time at 5.30 in the morning, and I said, okay, Lord, I will meet with you at 5.30 in the morning. So I've determined to do that, so that that is a time when I'm putting on my new clothing. And then I guess the third thing is, is continue to read uh, the Bible, continue to read books, continue to listen to podcasts, Continue to meet in, in small groups or house churches so that you can talk about the scripture and, and learn together. Uh, come to an understanding in a different way. And maybe put aside the social stuff and all the social media and start learning about Jesus in a whole new way. And I would encourage you personally to start writing. Because when you write your thoughts down, something happens in your brain that changes the perspective, and allows the Holy Spirit to speak to you in a, in a different way. It's a blessing that we have. I love you. Have a fantastic week. And I'm praying that as we go through the month of May, that we will see the church, Epic Life Church, grow in, in wonderful, beautiful ways. We'd invite neighbors in and people would come to know Him as Savior. And that we would get to return maybe at the end of the month with uh, celebrating baptism and new membership and celebrating that, that God allowed us to get through this time uh, in, in just a wonderful and, and great way. So be blessed. Take care.